Thanks, Aaron. And thank you for giving me this passage. Uh, I have listened to Aaron's last two weeks, and I'm glad that I didn't have to deal with the difficult topics of election and predestination and the sovereignty of God and all the other... He had nine topics that, I, that he looked at. And as I listened to them, I've gone, whew, I get the easy one. It is, but it's a privilege to be here and, uh, and share with you. As Aaron said, I'm from uh, the Baptist Union Victoria. I work in the resource hub uh, down in Melbourne, even though I live in Gippsland. And I'm the regional pastor for Eastern Victoria. People often ask me what a regional pastor does. Um, I basically get paid to drink coffee with pastors. That's the way I like to describe it. Um, it's a great job. If you want to line up for it behind me, feel free. Um, the regional pastor for metropolitan area, if you want to move to Melbourne, is resigned, is resigned, has just resigned, so we're looking for someone. Um, but uh, I don't think you'd want to leave this way. It's not a wonderful place just to go down and drink coffee with pastors. I think this living in Wangarat is a better option. But uh, it, is, it is great to be able to uh, travel around different churches and uh, share with them and encourage them. And uh, I'm encouraged that uh, since I was here last time, you've grown in number and, and, and a real sense of, of aliveness in, in the place. And it, uh, it's great. Not that it wasn't there before, but it's great to see churches uh, continue to grow and change as I travel around. I, uh, as, as I start the Ephesians 2, we, we need to think of where Ephesians 1 finished. Ephesians 1 finished talking about what Christ had done what, and where and what his achievements were. And in, in my version, at the start of chapter 2, it says, as for you, in the NIV it says, as for you. We've talked about what happened at the end of chapter 1 with Jesus. But now we're talking about, as for you, you fellow Christians, this is about what is happening in your world and to you and for you. It says, you were dead in your transgressions. Today I come with bad news, good news and challenging news. The bad news is, where we came from was not a good place. And this whole series is talking about unity. And one of the real reasons we can be unified as Christians and as a church is the fact that we came from the same place, we stand in the same place, and we're asked to do the same things. There is no difference. You can't say, well, I came from a Christian family. I came from a, a wealthy family. I came from this or from that. It matters little, your background, because your background is simply you were dead in your transgressions. That's your family of history. That's your inbuilt nature. That's who you were. That's who we were. That you were dead in your transgressions and sin in which you used to once live. 
I don't know about you, but I look at where I once was and I can list very clearly the sins and the transgressions. I think, uh, I don't know if I could write what Paul wrote about himself saying, I was pretty good. I, I followed all the, the rules and the regulations. That's not my background. I could have a PhD in sins and transgressions, I think. Prior learning, sort of. But God looks at, regardless of where we came from, looks at us with the same eyes and the same attitude. But we were dead in our transgressions. It's a, it's a reflection of what Genesis 2.17 says. When God said to Adam, the day you eat of that fruit, you will surely die. Now we know Adam didn't drop dead physically and, and we were always breathing so we weren't physically dead but spiritually we were dead in our transgressions sinking in the quicksand so to speak and ever since we were born we've struggled with that sin in our life Romans 17 uh, verse 14 says we know that the law is spiritual but I am unspiritual sold to a slave of sin I do not understand what I do for what for what I want to do I do not do but I hate but what I hate I do it's one of the hardest passages to read it basically says I want to do this but I do that and I hate doing that but I keep on doing it I'd like to do good, but I can't. I just keep doing bad. And that's because of our nature. That we had no hope. No hope whatsoever from where we stood. That's the bad news. I don't want to dwell on that. We know that. People who have looked honestly into the mirror know that for a fact. So what's the good news? The good news, if you, is you, as Aaron was reading in the passage, is, you know, we've lived about all of that. But in verse 4 it says, But because of his great love for us. His great love for us. I grew up thinking no one could love me. That I wasn't worthy of loving, being loved. That no one would accept me for who I am or what I could do. I grew up believing that. And in a sense, continue to struggle with that throughout my adult life. I've been a senior pastor, I've been on stage, I've preached, I've, I've been over to the Philippines and I've preached to 60 to 80 pastors and, and taught them regularly and, and travelled around there and, and done all sorts of amazing things and had pats on back. 
but still struggle with am I good enough? But this passage says you came from a place of sin but because of God's great love for me. If God can love me and he knows me the best. My wife loves me which is a, another amazing story. But God, who knit me together, who knows everything about me, my innermost thoughts and desires, and looks at me and says, I have great love for you. That's good news. That is amazing news. That is too good to be true news. That is news that we want to go, where's the fine print? Where's the clause? Where, where's the bit that, that sort of gives him an out? And there's nothing. It's unconditional love. Because of his great love for us, the verse goes on and says, God who is rich in mercy, and he has to be, doesn't he? Loving us a lot. Made us alive even when we were dead in our transgressions. It's by grace you've been saved. And we can breathe a sigh of relief. And God in his love and his mercy looks at us and says, like Jesus says to Lazarus, come out of the grave. Leave your deadness, I made up a new word, leave your deadness behind and come because of my mercy for you because of my mercy and love for you, I want you to be alive, to experience all that I have to offer. Aaron shared about how Jesus rules over just bits and pieces, just some of. No. How Jesus rules over all. And the way, you know, he talked about that, you know, all is, is a pretty big, all-encompassing concept. And it brings a whole lot of problematic thinking. Because God's supremacy and God's sovereignty is a wonderful story, but a challenging. As we look into the world around us, we go, Boy, if I was God and I had sovereignty, I'd be doing it differently. But God, in his sovereignty, has control over all. And I think we're glad about that. Because in that sovereignty, he says, 
you are loved. You are forgiven. And you are accepted by the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords and the one who sits on the throne. And I can think of nothing sweeter to hear that the God of this universe, the creator of the world, looks at you regardless of what you've done or what's been done to you. He looks at you with eyes and says, I love you. You are accepted, you are loved, and you are forgiven. They're the three big things. We need to know we're loved. We need to know we're accepted. And we need to know we're forgiven. And God looks at it out of his grace and mercy and says, you were once dead, but I'm going to make you alive and give you the gift of salvation. And he offers it to all. It's a challenge though. These boxes here, it's a wonderful ministry. I don't know if you've ever seen videos of how these boxes are distributed. How a truck turns up and they start handing them out. And the kids, what's the first thing they do? They grab a box. I need to just grab one without. I think they just grab a box and they tuck it under their arm and, and, and they, they run back to the house and they put it somewhere safe and they just leave it there. And they look at it. Isn't that a cute box? Isn't that a gorgeous box? That's a gift for me. Is that what they do? It's not what they do. The first thing they do is they open that box and look what's inside. And their eyes light up and they start showing people and they start telling people and they start getting really excited. And, and then they look at another one, another, something else that's in that box. And then something else that's in that box. And they start playing with it. And then they go back to the box and, and find something else. And their eyes are big as saucepans. And their heart is full. And they can't believe that someone across the other side of the world took time to do something for them. Can you see a bit of a parallel? To what God has done for us. That God, before the beginning of time, knew you and packed a box just for you, just for me. And once we were dead in our transgressions, He came to us and says, Here's your box. Here's a box I prepared for you. 
And then the choices begin. Who are you to give me a gift? I don't want a gift. I don't want it. But most of us here, probably all of us, but most of us here, have at least taken that box and said, thank you for the gift of grace, of forgiveness, of mercy. And we are no longer dead in our transgressions, but we are alive. Because we've been saved by grace. Because we've received the gift of salvation. But walking around with a box is not the gift of salvation. We've got the gift. We've received the gift. But we haven't opened the box. Because the passage goes on and says, For by grace you've been saved. Not of yourself. You haven't achieved anything. You've done nothing. God did all the packing. He printed the box up. He folded it. He put the things inside. He put your name on it and said, You want it? All we've done is said thank you. That's all we've done at this point. And we have a box of salvation. And we are no longer dead in our transgressions. That's the good news. We've had the bad news. We've had the good news. What's the challenging news? What's in the box? That's the challenging news. Because the passage goes on to say, for by grace you have been saved through faith. It's a faith step. We pray a prayer. We acknowledge Jesus died on the cross for us. And our world turns upside down and all our problems are solved and nothing, problem, nothing, nothing challenges us ever again. If that's your experience, I'd love to talk to you afterwards because I want to know how you achieve that. We pray a prayer and we accept Jesus as our Lord and Saviour and we acknowledge that his death on the cross was for me and my forgiveness and we are made alive in Christ. And physically nothing changes. And the world around us is still problematic. And there's still people who look at us and say, well, you're nothing special. But God looks at us and says, you're forgiven. You're accepted and you're loved. And the passage goes on and says, you've been saved through faith. And this is not from yourself. It's a gift of God not by work so that you can, so that no one can boast. No one can say, I did it my way. I am here because of what I have achieved. No one can say that. No one is good enough to impress God. And we don't need to be. 
not by work so that no one can boast, for we are God's workmanship. God's, well, I, I was reading one commentator, God's poem. God's poem that is continued to be written as we live out our life. I love that. Salvation isn't a tick in the box, finished, done, and we've arrived. It's an ongoing work. It's God's workmanship. It's his regeneration or recreation, as Aaron was talking about in the previous chapter. This builds on. For we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus Here's the challenging bit. To do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. We, we look in the box, and there's a few things in the box. There's love and acceptance and grace and mercy and all those good things. There's a, can you list? Can you just do this? Can you just do that? But there's also the strength, the encouragement, and the actual giftedness to do those. You see, salvation isn't the end point, it's the start point. And, and you know all this. As Aaron said, this is a great chapter because we, we know and I'm preaching to the choir in one sense. I'm preaching to those who know. But do we? Do we actually live it out? What does God want me to do because I'm saved? Not to be saved. What does God want you to do because you're saved? What does that look like? It looks different for each person. Aaron and I were at a, um, a, a, a BUV event on Friday night. And uh, it was like a, it's a BUV dinner and it's like a church meeting. It's a, it's a all the Baptist pastors and church delegates get together. And we, we had this report from a group that went to the UK and they travelled around and did a, a, it was a, they travelled to two or three ministries each day or churches each day to look at what they were doing and how they could, um, you know, sort of learn from that. And uh, one of the Baptist pastors there was asked, you know, what was, what was uh, something that, that, that meant something to him. And he said, it was people who'd been living out Philemon 6. And I went up to him afterwards because I didn't hear the reference. And when he read it, you know, like I've been travelling in this Christian journey for a while and I, I should have known this. I should have recognised this. I sort of was aware of this truth, but I don't think it hit me as solely as this verse said. And 
And I started trying to find that verse in the rest of the dinner. And I, I couldn't. I thought he said Romans. I'm going, Romans 6 what? And I read Romans 6. I said, that's nothing like it. And I thought, no, I don't know. So I went up to him afterwards. And I said, Nathan, what was that verse? He said, Philemon 6. I said, hmm. So I read it. I pray that you may be active in sharing your faith so that you... How would you finish that sentence? How would you finish that sentence? I pray that you'll be active in sharing your faith so that you will be able to bring others into the kingdom of God and help them find their box of salvation. Is that what it doesn't say that. It says, so that you will have full understanding of every good thing we have in Christ. You know why God gives us a Kenya list? Can you just do this for me? Can you just that for me? Not to get the job achieved. He could do that. He's got minions. He's got millions of minions. He doesn't, he doesn't need us to do anything. But what that does is it helps us to walk by faith and learn from him. First time I went to the Philippines and they asked me to, uh, to preach for a week for eight, to 80 pastors and teach them stuff. I thought, what have I got to teach? Just, just because I'm a, I'm a white guy that's been through theological college, does that mean I'm any better than them? And I thought, what, what, what do you want me to teach? And, and they gave me two topics. I can't remember what the first one was, and that's the one I taught on. But the second one was music, and I've gone, you've definitely got the wrong person here. <laughs> I know nothing about music. I love music, can't sing a tune, and I can't play an instrument. So I brought somebody else along to do the music. But, but they gave me these topics. Every year they'd give me topics. And I, I'm no expert in them got a bachelor degree of of something that teaches me something about something but every year God is faithful to use me and every year I learn more about myself and more about God and his goodness to me as I do and live out my salvation I understand the fullness of what God has offered me. For by grace we have been saved to do good works. My paraphrase, for our betterment. Not for those who we're doing them to, but for our betterment. Because we're living out our salvation as it says in the scriptures, with fear and trepidation. Because we're going, can I do this? 
can I really do this? Of course you can. Some of you may say, when I'm good enough, I'll do it. When I've grown enough in my salvation, I'll do it. This is a work in... I, I, I hate when God sort of, you know, like Aaron gives me a passage a couple of weeks ago and, and, and God starts stirring up stuff in you to, to prepare and you haven't had enough time to sort of work it through in your head and God's giving you this thought and you go... And I'm a big believer, I just throw it out there and I go, this is a work in progress in my head, okay? So theologically, it's still a work in progress. I'm just sharing with you. This is, this is what a thought came to me. We were dead in our transgressions, made alive in Christ. But that doesn't mean we still don't struggle with our transgressions. I'm now alive in my transgressions. It's not my nature to be sinful anymore. But I'm still with Paul. The good I want to do, I'd love to be able to do it. But I don't always get it right. I'm not perfect. I haven't got it all together. I still mess up. I still struggle with thoughts, with feelings. I still struggle with actions. I'm getting better every day, I hope. But I am not perfect. Jesus is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He has forgiven me and will continue to forgive me. And in his long suffering and mercy will continue to forgive me. And when he's done that, he will continue to forgive me. And after traveling with him for 47 years now or something, he is continuing to forgive me. And he doesn't even raise his eyebrows and go, get it together, Rob. Come on, you know better than that. He looks at me with love and acceptance and says, I forgive you. I love you. This is where you need to get to. And I will journey with you. And I will encourage you. But regardless of how long it takes, I love you. I forgive you. And I take great encouragement in that. But that means I've got to live out my salvation from day one. Not when I'm good enough. Not when I'm ready. What's on your Kenya list? What does God want you to do because you are saved this week. Because it's really easy to think, God wants me to do this down the track. But what's he want you to do this week?
You might say, I don't know. When I was growing up, the, the, the rage, you know, the, the trend was the WWJD bracelets and necklaces and all those things. What would Jesus do? Great. They were, they were great things. It was interesting. Side note, a little of a red, red herring rabbit hole to go down. They were the most stolen things from Christian bookshops. What would Jesus do? Steal this. Anyway, we won't go there. A great question. What would Jesus do? But I think I've got a better one. And I need to sort of copyright it. I think it should be WWJS. What would Jesus see as he walked through Wangaratta? What would Jesus see? Because if we see what Jesus would see, then we do what Jesus would do. Because all through the Gospels, we hear what Jesus saw. And then he did. I want to finish with this. I wasn't planned to say this, but so... One of the most challenging miracle stories to me, and I may have shared this last time I was here, I think, but I'm not sure. One, one of the most challenging miracle stories to me was when Jesus went to the pool that was rustled up and the first person in would get healed. Remember that story? And, and Jesus came along to, the, to this and saw a, a, a crippled person there and he'd been there for years. And Jesus, in his wonderful wisdom, says, what, what are you waiting, what are you doing? What would you like to do? You know, I want to get healed. What do you think I'm sitting here for? And Jesus said, well, pick up your mat and come follow me. Wonderful story. If you had to act it out, what would that look like? I'll show you what it would look like. Jesus walking along, sees a group of people who are deaf, who are blind, who are disabled, who are lame. Sitting around a pool and he goes, excuse me, excuse me, excuse me, excuse me, what can I do for you? I want to be healed. Follow me. Excuse me. Excuse me. Excuse me. And off he goes. And he leaves the rest there. Because that's what the story says. He didn't heal everybody. He healed one. Jesus was walking along and he saw one. Do for the one what you can do for the many. As I walk around life, I try and see what Jesus would see. There are so many needs, so many jobs, so many things that we could be doing. But what does Jesus put on my heart to do? Some people look at these boxes and go, I didn't do one. That's okay. That's totally okay. 
I get presented with needs all the time. It's not doesn't touch my heart. And I just but when Jesus says that's that's a part of your salvation, Rob. Work it out. Live it out. Go and do it. In faith. You can make a difference to the one. You can make a difference to that group or that person or that ministry or that issue. For by grace you have been saved through faith to do your good works. Not my good works. You're doing your own. I'll do mine. You do yours. But what would Jesus want you to do this week? That's the challenge I want to leave you with. That's the challenging news of this wonderful passage of God's love and grace to each one of us. Let me pray for you. Father, we thank you. We thank you for the gift of salvation. That it is through your love and mercy that we have been saved. Father, may you give us eyes this week to see the world as you see it. As we walk through our world this week, may we have the sensitivity to know what you want us to do. As we live out our salvation, may you guide us in the tasks that you ask us to perform not to earn our salvation or even earn your love, but to learn more about you as we trust you to use us. Father, we give you all the praise for what you've done in us and may we respond in faith by living out our salvation. So we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.